a millable. Yeah, a millivolt. Well, I guess there's like a decibel and then a millable. What? I Oh, I said millivolt. Oh, gosh. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Sorry, sorry, okay. sorry, sorry, sorry. No, vault, vault. Sorry, I dropped my tea. I, I scared my cat. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Bonifex. Um, How do I usually start this? Do I usually in? I'm sorry, you can restart it. But do I usually say I'm Grace and then you say I'm Mads, or do we just go into it? You you say this is Sonifax, a hopefully humorous and hopefully educational, oh, okay, okay, or whatever okay. you want to say, okay, podcast about I'm animal sorry. facts. You hopefully didn't already know. I'm Grace and I'm Mads. <laughs> okay, thank you. I feel like every time is like a midlife crisis. All right, it's it's okay. I just know because I edit them, so I hear it, like, 300 times. <laughs> oh, okay. I could just start, like, copy-pasting one that's no, the same. No, I think it's better this way. All right. Okay. <laughs> I just like torturing you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Fauna Facts, a quasi-educational, hopefully humorous discussion of animal facts that you did not already know. I'm Grace. And I'm Mads. And today, I wanted to talk about monotremes. Oh. Yeah. So they're mammals. Platypus and echidna. So, because, I don't know, I'm working myself up to, like, doing placental mammals. <laughs> I mean, I guess we did placental mammals, but, yeah. like, the Tenrex were kind of weirdos. Eventually, we'll, like actually talk about normal mammals normal mammals i shouldn't say normal mammals your average average mammal so yeah i wanted to talk about monotremes because they're really weird and cool Mm -hmm. so they evolved first they were some of the well of the mammals that are around today they were the first to evolve they still lay eggs and but they still produce milk. I how much do you know about monotremes? I've never heard of them before. <laughs> you know you know what a platypus is. Yes, you just said that. Yeah, I'm sorry. And you know you might know what echidnas are. I feel like you've mentioned them before or I've heard the word, but I can't remember. I might have me- Yeah. I might have mentioned them when we talked about Tenrex. So they look like little anteater things that are spiny so they have this little thin snout and then they're kind of fat and like wombat shaped but they have spines and they like are between 10 and 20 pounds Mm -hmm. and they live in australia and new guinea and there's only four echidnas and one platypus species so they're holding out but there's there's not many i mean there's some fossils of them but those guys didn't last they are mammals so they do have milk they don't have nipples because nipples evolved later Hmm. so their babies just drink the milk right off their fur what what (laughs) yeah yeah they don't have nipples so it just like there's patches on their bellies that 
secrete milk in the babies. Like it off the fur. Patches. Yeah. Huh. I don't know what quite that looks like. I just know I've seen like pictures of platypus with milk on their bellies. <laughs> <laughs> and then little platypus are licking it up. Okay. Yeah, it's they're kind of bizarre. Like I know we've talked about Tenrex. I think Tenrex had cloaca. So platypus only have one opening for excreting waste and laying eggs, which is like birds. But there's some cool things that people have found about them, other than just like they're weird looking. They found that their milk actually has a really cool antibiotic. And they theorized probably because it was just like they're secreting out of the fur, which isn't very sanitary. So they have this cool antibiotic. So this antibiotic is really cool because it has this weird fold. So proteins are created by folding amino like strands of amino acids. And so they name this fold the Shirley Temple because it looks like her curls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just a fun fact. <laughs> I mean, more fun than the other facts here, I guess. And then other things about monotremes is... So you know that we have, for sex determination, like testes development and stuff, XY genes, chromosomes, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Platypus have 5X and 5Y. Yeah, that was my response too. (laughs) So, sorry, an individual platypus has 5 total or 10 total? They have... Ten, yeah, I guess it would be a male platypus has ten total, like five pairs instead of one pair. Oh. Yeah. Okay, keep talking. <laughs> so I did not really understand this part. <laughs> I tried to read the original literature, and it was like a mess. And so what they did was they compared it to the mammal XY, and they found that some X's were very similar to the mammal X. Like, the XY's were very similar to the mammal XY's. Mm-hmm. But then some of them were like, so birds, they don't have XY. They have ZW, or I guess ZW. And so it's actually ZZ is male, and ZW is female, so it's kind of opposite of what you see in mammals. So some of the platypuses, X's, and Y's are more similar to birds' sex-determining chromosomes. Uh-huh. Can I... I'm so... It's really weird. Yes, but it kind of makes sense because they, like, lay eggs and stuff. But... Yeah, I... Well, I mean, does it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying here. It's, it was, I don't understand, like, how they, because there's certain sections that are, like, in a bird, it's, like, if they have two of these, then they're male, and it's, like, if they have one of these in a mammal, then it's male, and they're, I don't know, it was really confusing, and then the echidna, the male echidna that they looked at had, species they looked at had five x's and then only four y's so they only had nine like they had four and a half pairs 
What does that even mean? (laughs) Wait, I, okay, can you explain to me why is it in humans called XY and then for the monotremes called XY and then for birds called ZW, ZW? I think they called XY in monotremes because they were mammals, so they assumed that the chromosomes would be like mammals instead of birds. But they're not. They're both. But some of them are, yeah, some of them are more similar to birds. And so birds are like a different, it's just a way to differentiate that they're different because they have different, like there's a switch that turns on a bunch of other like, oh, better start pumping this hormone up and better start making this. So there's different genes that do that in those different chromosomes. Between birds and mammals. Is there any animal, if you know this, that has more than two types? Not off the top of my head. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I want there's like a bunch of funky ways that animals determine if they're male or female or something. Well, I mean like female hermaphrodites or something like mm-hmm. Yeah. Else. So I think that's really interesting. But yeah, these guys are really weird. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish I could explain more about it, but i that's, like, the limit of my understanding, <laughs> unfortunately. And then these guys are weird also because they can do electroreception. Mm. So that's, they have this ability to detect weak, mag, oh, sorry, weak electric fields of living things. That's pretty common in, like, sharks and amphibians, oh. things that live in water. There's no mammal, other mammals that we know that live on land that have this. So, yeah, the platypus just uses, it has it in its beak, its nose, and it uses that to find little prey items as it's swimming around in the murky water. And then I guess the echidna uses it, too, to find worms I guess the one that ha- eats ants doesn't have that many. It only has 400 compared to the 2,000 that the one, the species that eat worms. And then platypuses have 40,000. What? Of these sensors, yeah, in their, their beak. So it works better in water. Like, there is this test where they made this little apparatus. Like, you know how they train mice and rats to press a bar and get food? Mm-hmm. They made this little thing where it had... They could switch which side had a weak electric field, and then they taught it to press the bar on the side that had the weak electric field, and then it got a treat. Oh, I know. It was a really cute picture. But that's how they, like, proved that these echidnas had an electric, like, electroreception as well. Wow. Yeah. And I, for anybody who does electronics out there, they can detect up to 1.8 millivolts per centimeter which i have no idea how tiny that is actually i tried looking and i had no idea i couldn't figure it out i think it's pretty pretty weak and what else do i have about them the echidna babies are called puggles (laughs) and they have echidnas have little pouches so they can carry their egg around before it hatches just just one egg yeah just one egg I think platypus have more than one egg. Oh, they do have... Did I talk about venomous animals? Like, venomous mammals? Uh, 
don't think so. Oh, okay. I just imagined that whole podcast then in my head. What Can you give me some more context? What do you mean? Oh, okay. So these guys are strange because most mammals, they're not venomous. So these guys, so male platypuses, they have spurs and they have venom in them, which is just weird for mammals. Spurs like on their feet or spurs? Yeah, like like a, a rooster has spurs. Oh, I was thinking, you know, like a cowboy. Uh, oh, that'd be cool, but no. <laughs> no, more like um, a rooster has spurs. I don't know what that is. They're like these long claws. Like the extra toe. Yeah, that face backwards, and they're used for, like, attacking things. Got it. So the females have them too, and echidnas have them too, but they're not venomous, but... Yeah, apparently it's really, really painful to get stabbed with by a platypus. Hmm. Yeah, not very placental mammal-ish. <laughs> and, oh, they used to think that they didn't dream. <laughs> I, there's just a lot of random weird facts about echidnas and platypus. But echidnas, apparently they do go into REM sleep, and so they can dream. But only at certain temperatures, if it gets too cold or too hot, then they don't dream. <laughs> yeah, and already their body temperature is weird because we talked about things going into estivation or hibernation. These guys, they're rusty, like not their, when they're active and they're moving around and looking for bugs and other things. Their body temperature is around 90 degrees Fahrenheit, as opposed to, like, 97, which is the average for placental mammals. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I looked at some videos. They're awfully cute. <laughs> I'll put some cute pictures up. The cutest thing was the, it's called a love train. <laughs> oh, I just got that. <laughs> There's this female echidna just bumbling around, and then there's, like, this group of males just following her. Oh my gosh. They don't look like they're bothering her. They're just following her and just waiting until she wants to mate. <laughs> but, like, they're so bumbly, and there's just, like, I don't think it looks like a train. It's, like, looks like, it's supposed to be, like, a line. They described it as a line. It does not look like a line. <laughs> Looks like just a lot of male echidnas falling around this female. So there's like three or four males just bumbling around behind this female. And it's really cute. That sounds adorable. Yeah, I'll get a picture of it. The other things I found were like, mm, I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds scandalous, but you can look up echidna. Dear listeners, look up echidna <laughs> reproduction and sex by yourselves. Because I don't want to talk about it. It's not family friendly. Oh. Uh, we already talked about hagfish last week. That should satisfy you enough. I mean, they were pretty great. They are. But we'll talk about it with marsupials. I'll talk about it okay. then. But I won't talk about it now. Ooh, I really want to know more about the kangaroo pouch situation, by the way. Oh. Right now? No. Just a heads up. Yeah, I'll talk about marsupials next. I already have a plan. Because there's a lot of cool marsupials. And then we can talk about <sighs> some placental mammal. I'll try to figure out one that I think is interesting. <laughs> well, that's what I have on monotremes. I feel like I'm forgetting something. 
But yeah, they're cool little weird animals. I have an additional question. Yes. So, monotremes. Mm-hmm. Mono being one, treme being what? Opening. Why? Because they only have one opening for waste, and instead of having, like, the urethra, anus, and vagina, it's all one. But also being a mammal. Yes. Got yeah. it. Like, birds only have one opening. Mm-hmm. We don't call them monotremes. You sure don't. No. Great. Well, well, thank you. That was my question. Yeah, it was a good question. Thank Wow. And I'm glad I looked that up before you asked <laughs> Oh, because I did not. You know I like to ask these curveballs. Yeah. Haha. <laughs> Caught it. <laughs> Good job. All right. Well, that's all I have for those guys. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes. What do you have? Well, I was going to talk about red foxes. Oh. And how they hunt. Mm-hmm. Because I thought it was pretty wild. So you've probably seen a video of foxes you can kind of imagine they're out in the middle of nowhere there's a lot of snow they are kind of stalking a spot and then they jump straight up and they kind of go like head first into the snow Mm -hmm. yeah so biologists call that mousing where the fox is stalking its prey until it's at a certain distance it leaps high into the air and comes down on the animal from above so it's very impressive that a fox can do this when there's like a foot or two of snow and they're just diving head first into the snow and nabbing that meal that they couldn't see. Hmm, I never thought about that yet. So there was this zoologist. I'm pretty sure he's Czech. Anyway, so there's this zoologist, Yaroslav Jerveni. And he was thinking, okay, so when foxes are doing this, when they're hunting this way, they're relying heavily on auditory cues. They're kind of moving slowly and really deliberately, and their ears are erect. They're kind of cocking their heads side to side, paying close attention to the slightest sounds. Mm -hmm. But after more than two years in the field watching them hunt, this zoologist started to think that there was something else going on just besides them perhaps being able to hear the prey through the snow. Okay. And something else happening that helps them target what they can't see. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) So they recorded 84 foxes performing almost 600 mousing jumps. Oh my gosh. In various parts of the Czech Republic over two years. And then when they compared everyone's notes, they found this pattern that when prey was out in the open or in low cover and easily seen, the foxes would approach and jump on it from all different directions. But when the prey was deep in vegetation or hiding underneath snow, the foxes tended to jump towards the northeast to pounce on it. So the majority of the successful attacks on the prey that was hidden was confined to a cluster centered about 20 degrees clockwise of magnetic north. When the foxes made these northeast pointing attacks, they were successful around 75% of the time, and attacks in pretty much any other direction ended in a kill less than 20% of the time. So wait, they were, they always like 
found the general vicinity of their prey faced towards the northeast mm-hmm. and jumped that direction. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> so this this preference for jumping at their prey towards the northeast and the advantage that it had, like the higher success rates, held up across different places, different seasons, times of day, and weather conditions. And the researchers couldn't find any environmental cues that were causing it. And so they... So they did this outside the Czech Republic. Like, they did this in the Southern Hemisphere? Great question. I do not know the answer to that. I think this was only... This particular study was done only in the Czech Republic over two years. Mm, Okay, go on. Sorry. No, 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 it's a good question. So they couldn't really think of any other explanation except that the foxes can sense the Earth's magnetic field and are lining their tacks up with it. Yes. (laughs) That's what I would think, too. (laughs) So, funny enough, as you mentioned earlier, you know, birds, sharks, lobsters, and some other species have been shown to perceive the planet's magnetic field. You were talking about electric fields, but whatever. I'm going to pretend like... It's okay. I mean, yeah, there are some animals that detect magnetic field, yeah. So, it's okay. Thank you. They're different, but... Fine, they're different. (laughs) This same researcher, Terveni, had previously demonstrated that cows and deer tend to align themselves with magnetic north while grazing. So, this wasn't totally wild. But... In most of these cases, animals are using the magnetic field to assist them in navigating, but foxes would be the first animal known that would use it to hunt. So, how does this work? Yes. (laughs) My question, too. So, the researchers are pretty sure that the magnetic field acts like a rangefinder for the foxes, telling them how far away prey is when they can't see it and making their blind jumps more accurate. So at a certain point during the hunt, noise coming from the prey overlaps with the slope of the magnetic field as the fox senses it. And then when this happens, the fox is a fixed distance away from the prey. And as it keeps, you know, hunting and jumping, it'll learn to perfect its jump to cover that distance so it lands perfectly on the prey. Oh. Does that make sense? So, yeah, they're the first time they do this, they would not get it right. Right. But it's just practicing, figuring out, like, oh, if I hear this and I can sense, I can sense the magnetic field, so eventually they learn by trial and error, like, mm-hmm. how far... Like, if they can hear it, how far they should jump. Yeah. With the help of the magnetic field. Yeah, so they talk about it as kind of a heads-up display. So, like, the fox might sense the magnetic field as a pattern of light or color superimposed on the surroundings. So all the fox has to do is find the sweet spot and fix fix the distance of its prey and creep up until the location of the prey's sounds line up with part of the pattern and then given the fox's clear like preference for northeast jumps the part of the pattern slash field it uses to target is probably in that direction and like the most visibly sorry the most visually obvious Hmm. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't. I know. I was just thinking because actually, somebody in my lab studies magnetoreception or did spiny lobsters. I don't. Well, the problem is we don't know how animals detect magnetoreception. I was thinking about talking about magnetoreception today, actually, in monarchs. Oh. But I'm so tired of talking about monarch butterflies. <laughs> I'm sorry for all of you monarch butterfly lovers. I, I like, have had, like, I went to an entomology conference and had a monarch expert visit, which was great, but I took a break and looked at mammals. So maybe next next time I'll talk about it's really awesome work, actually. But, I don't know, I guess, like, using the term, well, I feel like I'm going to steal your your section. But I I was always under the impression that magnetoreception felt like, like something physical. Mm, and not visual. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting analogy. I think they're just trying to explain it in a way that we can understand. So another way I saw it explained was walking around with a magnetic sense is like walking around with a flashlight attached to your head, pointed down at a fixed angle. And so wherever you are, this spot travels with you, ahead of you as you move. And so you can sense it like you'd see a beam of light from a flashlight. Oh, how do you describe that to people? Because we're just like, five senses. That's what we got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's why they use sight. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so it's like this idea that the foxes have over time learned to measure the distance between themselves. And, like, if you're imagining this light beam at a fixed angle all the time. So when you hear a sound under the snow, you can angle the sound of like the prey with the slope of the magnetic field and get like a sweet spot i it was hard for me to understand without visuals so we will obviously have lots of those <laughs> yeah that's why i was asking about the southern hemisphere because if it's magnetoreception then and like they have a preference for northeast then with Boxes in the southern hemisphere, like the southwest. Yeah, this is about a specific species of fox, and I don't know if it exists in the southern hemisphere, but it might. Oh, because red fox, vulpes. It's like vulpes. the most common one, right? Yeah, it's everywhere. It's one of the most widely distributed members of the order Carnivora, says Wikipedia. I'm now realizing that I've talked about foxes twice. Go for it. They're my favorite animal, so I'm not mad about it. Oh, oh, after I went on that thing about... I thought it was funny, but maybe it's not funny when I put down mammals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny. <laughs> Is it? It's okay. I know you have your... Listen, I think that... This would be a boring podcast if we only talked about placental mammals. Yes. Well, no, I think in the right hands it would be very interesting. No. <laughs> I guess I'm, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. You bring a lot to the table, Grace. Accept it. I, I do.
just not mammals. That's fine. I That's mostly what I do, so it's fine. Yeah, so I think that's all I have. Okay. Well, you want to send us off? Yes. So thank you all for listening to another magical episode of Fauna Facts. You can find our visuals on our Instagram at Fauna Facts Podcast. We also have a blogger for those of you not on Instagram, which is faunafactspodcast.blogspot.com. I believe we have a Gmail. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe. I know we do. That's the only way we could have a blogger. But <laughs> we have a Gmail that's faunafactspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to email us, though you probably know us in real life, so feel free to just drop us a line. And as always, thank you so much so far. We have had 10 ratings on the Apple Podcast app, and they were all five stars, and it's so nice. Oh, thank you. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. You guys are great. And we really appreciate you, and it's really fun to get texted about this after, so thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.